Okay, Adam, uh, welcome back to the EdTech Today. Thanks so much today. for having me back. Yeah, yeah, it's been uh, it's been almost a year, I think. Uh, certainly, a lot of things have changed, and certainly, uh, a lot of things have changed for the better. I think, if I re recall our conversation, I think we're still both in a bit of a, a shell shock to uh, <laughs> to the, the the current situation. Uh, but wanted to bring you back on. Um, you know, because of that conversation that we had had before, and it's something that I think is is really important, especially now as we go into the summertime, and districts may have the opportunity to breathe a little bit uh, without having the students, if they're either in person or on their Zooms, uh, to focus on the idea of professional development. Now, one, it, one part of my brain says, how can you even think about things like that? Like, it seems like it's a luxury uh, while at the same time, teachers are just trying to keep it all together, right? Whether it's in person or remote or hybrid or whatever it is. But in fact, professional development is, has, has been an essential aspect uh, of this whole experience. Why don't you tell us how your work has changed um, since the, the onset of COVID-19 and talk a little bit about how professional development you think, uh, if, if you think, uh, will be changed forever. Sure. Well, you know, I think uh, everyone's work has changed. Uh, certainly mine ha has changed, but absolutely the work of educators and school leaders and district administrators has changed. Um, you know, no matter uh, what our um, kind of schooling and education experiences look like for students going forward. I think that the education system overall had a moment to experience something, you know, that uh, now that I'm out of the classroom, I know is not common for being in schools, which is this kind of experience of doing the work of work uh, in a collaborative way with colleagues in an asynchronous way sometimes, or maybe not being in person sometimes. Right. Uh, and I don't think this has to be, uh, you know, an extreme version of, of change. I'm not saying like, oh, well, we weren't in person before. Let's, let's never go in person. Uh, but let's even just think about kind of how this can unlock a whole new way of thinking about professional learning and interacting with colleagues. I mean, here we are, you and I, we are connected via video. We didn't right. schedule this and decide to fly across the country and meet up in person so that we could have this conversation uh, because we have accepted video conferencing tools as uh, you know a, a norm. Uh, yeah. And so I think educators have experienced that. And so going forward, you know, even in uh, some small uh, lower risk ways, maybe these technologies that now educators on the whole have experienced can become part of that every day. So instead of needing to drive down to the district office, maybe there are going to be more synchronous professional learning opportunities, you know, from three to 4 p.m. on a Tuesday, uh, but we did it via Zoom or other video conferencing software rather than needing to take a half day out of the classroom, drive down to the downtown office. Uh, you know, I, I think those are the ways where the experience of uh, being at home for, for almost all of us uh, will change how we think about uh, reconstructing what our future looks like. Yeah, I mean, in many ways, this was the largest forced beta test in history, right? I mean, these technologies have been around for a few years. I mean, thankfully, the pandemic didn't strike 10 years ago, because there's no way we would have had the tools or the bandwidth to prepare for. But 
these things were kind of sitting there. I mean, Google Meet was there. Microsoft mm-hmm. Teams was there. Um, I don't think there were a lot of schools and a lot of educators who were using it, especially for, for professional development. Um, and now you see that they had to use it whether they like it or not, uh, but they've also adapted. And uh, I think to a certain degree, everyone is, has thrived with it, right? Yeah, you know, I think that there maybe uh, to accept what our path forward for professional learning looks like uh, and some of how technology can play a part of that. Let's look outside of uh, being in the experience of being an educator uh, to something that I think we have all also experienced in some respect in the past year, which is telemedicine. You know, suddenly, uh, you know, we may have ourselves or talk to family members who have said things like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I did a video chat with my doctor and it was so easy. Yeah. the funny part, of course, is that in telemedicine, that's been around since the dawn of the telephone. Right. right? So uh, what was the reason why telemedicine wasn't common? It's because, look, there's a lot of, uh, you know, just inertia to overcome to try out if there could be a better way. And I think, as you were saying, we had that big beta test. So inside of education. So, you know, let's like, recognize that we have tried it out and make sure that we don't dispense with some of these uh, technological ways of learning, both for students and for the uh, adults in a a school system, uh, that we don't dispense with those technologies just because we can go back to some of the patterns that we had had before, which was depending on being in person. Yeah. Now, one of the uh, phrases that has emerged in my conversations is the idea of synchronous learning versus asynchronous learning. And, and again, I mean, most of my conversations have focused on the student, not necessarily the, the, the faculty, or the, the teachers, or the parents who also mm-hmm. now, and we can talk about that a little bit, which is a whole other market uh, <clears throat> that is in need of professional development, right? Parental development is, is something that uh, we'll probably have to stick around too. But let me go back and talk about the, the asynchronous parts of it and the asynchronous parts of it when you see um, the work that you do. So we have our one-to-one right now. You would have your live, you were talking about your two hours of professional development with maybe an instructor online. But what about online courseware? What about some other um, asynchronous tools and techniques that have been developed? I know you recently were writing about the use of micro-credentialing. Talk a little bit about some of those techniques that don't necessarily invite a live interaction, but just kind of professional development that's kind of anytime, anywhere. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, obviously I look at everything through or most things through the lens of the work of Edina, which is, you know, bringing the process of observation and feedback and self-reflection online using recorded videos. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, Nowhere in that do we ever say you shouldn't ever talk with someone live, right? I think it was saying you don't always have to be the right person in the right place at the right time. So, you know, you asked about the idea of micro-credentials, right? Well, I, I think it's actually that there is not kind of like a binary between synchronous and asynchronous learning, but more like a spectrum mm. uh, of how the learner is engaged, what that engagement looks like, how they can participate, how and when they get feedback, right? So, uh, you know, I think that uh, if at one end is I am in-person learning with someone uh, and at the other end is this fully 
uh, online, massive scale, uh, you know, on demand anytime, but it's all on me style, you know, courseware style learning. I think micro credentials are probably a lot closer to the in-person end of the spectrum uh, than we may be expecting, right? Because what are micro-credentials really? Uh, micro-credentials, in my view, uh, are kind of setting up in advance, uh, you know, the kind of prioritized opportunities for learning for teachers to kind of take, take control, make a choice, uh, take advantage of those options. Uh, but they're still kind of on that kind of uh, human-centered end of the process, right? Because sure, we're not coming and, and, and learning in person and talking about it in person, maybe as a first session, uh, but you know, you have that catalog of options for teachers in your district. You know, maybe you're prioritizing use of academic language in the content area, or you know, take it down even further. You know, maybe as a district, you've prioritized um, you know, student talk in late elementary math classroom lessons, right? Like, it's at that level of, of learning for the, the professional, the, the, the teacher, where, okay, now I know this is what I should be focusing on. Let me process that. Let me think about that. Let me go enact something in real life uh, and then capture that evidence. Uh, of course, you know, I'm always advocating for video evidence because it's the, it's the real evidence of what happened. Right. Um, but then reflect on that evidence and get feedback from someone else. Um, and, you know, and if I hadn't said the word micro-credentials, you may have thought I was talking about, uh, you know, quote unquote video coaching, right? Because yeah. I think micro-credentials is really just a way of packaging up a cycle of learning. It's, it's a brand name, if you will, for a, a style of learning, much in the same way that, um, you know, not exactly the same, but it's, uh, you know, how people might say, oh, well, we're implementing Japanese style lesson study. It's it's a style of professional learning, um, but it's, it may not necessarily be such a departure from that kind of connected style of learning that I think a lot of people do, do want and do crave, um, but may not need to happen in person. Do you think that, um, you know, these recent months have helped uh, accelerate the acceptance of techniques like micro-credentialing or has it kind of held it back? Well, I think the difference uh, of, you know, the experience that everyone has been going through is maybe that, um, you know, the, the educators, the teachers are going to be demanding more flexible and more customized options, mm. not because that's a buzzword for personalized professional learning, but because they have experienced that it's possible. Yeah. Uh, they've experienced that they don't need to be physically present in order to have something count. Uh, and so I think because teachers will be demanding those options more and more to make the most of their professional learning time, uh, that is going to uh, be met from the, the system around those teachers, the school leaders, the district administrators with bringing more of those options to bear. I mean, I, I think of a, of a particular, you know, we're, we're kind of talking in the big, big ways here, but let, you know, let me bring it forward in an example that was happening before the pandemic with a district that uh, we work with in, in Texas, uh, Keller ISD. Uh, they have a really awesome uh, framework that they had developed uh, for teachers in their professional learnings. This was happening before the pandemic where they had adopted a classroom style strategy of giving students choice, they gave that to teachers. They developed a choice board for teachers to choose a pathway of learning 
that was right for them while still being aligned to the appropriate, you know, strategy and priorities of the district. Um, you know, it wasn't called micro credentials. It, it didn't have, uh, you know, it, it, micro, again, micro credentials is a, a label for a style of learning that yeah. is focused on that teacher empowerment. And so this choice board that was implemented in the district, like, it was, it was such a kind of powerful experience for me to kind of get to see that in action, mainly because it was the embodiment of the thing, you know, you're asking about here, which is, do we need to give teachers more voice and choice in their professional learning? Um, and so absolutely, yes. And also, absolutely, there are a lot of ways to do that beyond, um, you know, only thinking that you have to implement, quote, unquote, micro credentials, because I, I think maybe a totally different and bigger topic, but like, you know, we should probably all sit down and talk about, well, what do we really mean with a micro-credential? Sure, there's the badging and all that stuff, but like, what's the core of, of that experience for the teacher? Because that's, I think, the important part. It's not the badge, that's the important part. So I've, I've been trying to concoct a list of um, myths um, that have been busted because of our, our, our group experiences. And one of them um, is around the idea of not only student agency, but teacher agency. And I think that speaks a little bit to what you were talking about. When I would write or, uh, you know, interview people, and we would talk about professional development, uh, BP before the pandemic, it was still very much a sit and get get sort of setup that was squashed. Um, and the, the second thing there was there was still always a bit of a resistance that I found to a certain segment of teacher populations that were resistant to technology because they were worried about, uh, and especially with professional development, and especially with the idea of being videotaped while they're teaching, mm -hmm. um, that you know that the technology is going to somehow replace my job, right? I mean that they were resistant to it because, well, if we bring the technology in the classroom, there won't be a need for a teacher. I think this experience has squashed that myth forever, right? I mean, I think everyone now realizes how important teachers are. And I think teachers have begun to appreciate the value in the technology, and especially when it comes to maybe recording your lessons and recording your interactions. Talk a little bit about that. From your perspective. Yeah, you know, I think um, it, it, what it makes me think about is how uh, before the pandemic, you know, as you as you kind of called it, um, there were barriers for people wanting to try things out or feeling like if I try it, uh, how do I know I can be successful? And that kind of question and worry of risk, if you will, is, is really centered around like not knowing what is, you know, I don't know how important this is and I don't want to look bad doing it if I'm not good at the first go. Right. And so I think it really speaks to needing to de-risk uh, experiences for educators that need to be tried out, whether it's videoing themselves or, or other things. Uh, you know, so what changed during the pandemic? Suddenly, everyone was uh, on the same playing field. It wasn't the, the teacher down the hall who was feeling very comfortable versus the teacher at the other end who felt uncomfortable. Suddenly, we are all on the same playing field. So we're all trying it out. And some of us are, are learning you know, to go left and some of us are learning to go right. And we're talking about how that's going. And it's okay if things weren't working out. Uh, so I think that might be the lesson going forward, which is whether it is 
uh, continuing uh, to capture videos of lessons and use those for professional learning and self-reflection or any other aspect of adult behavior, right? Because we're not talking about the students here. We're talking about changing the way that the adults in, in the education system want to act and learn and work. That you know, when there is resistance, it is really a question of how do we de-risk that experience? How do we create the on-ramp? And, and by the way, this isn't uh, just a technical skills question, right? Um, because there's, you know, in the case of video where clearly, you know, I've done a, a ton of thinking about this, there are ways to make it technically easier. Yeah. Um, and certainly at Athena, we think we've done that, but that still doesn't get everyone across the line for feeling comfortable for those first experiences, sure. which is why in the realm of video, uh, you know, if somebody came to me and said, okay, I'm, I want to make sure my teachers feel comfortable. What's the first thing I should do? I would say, have your teachers do a classroom tour, have them show off that physical space, have them turn the camera around away from them and talk and share something about their learning environment that they've constructed. This is still high value for whoever is going to be watching that video, but it's also really low risk for the teacher who's recording the video, yeah. right? And so like thinking about how perception of risk and perception of safety plays into anything we're asking educators to, to do or participate in is I think, you know, um, maybe something that we will recognize more going forward. Uh, as something that needs to be part of the, the planning matrix uh, for however you know we're constructing the experiences for the educators as well as the students. Yeah, now, I knew the, uh, the toughest part of this interview would be to end it because we could uh, talk about this and there's so many various issues uh, surrounding professional development and, and its importance. But let me finish up by asking you what innovation or what technique um, is at the top of your list to hold on to once we go back to whatever normal is, um, you know, as you've gone through this uh, experience and watch teachers and watch them continue to go through the paces of, of professional de development. What is the one thing that you see as you're going to make solid state or integrate into your business practices going forward? Hmm. Well, uh, maybe maybe I can take that as a lesson learned, um, yeah. you know, both internally and, uh, you know, observationally, externally, um, which I think has been um, really kind of being confront confronted with the, the importance of not confusing uh, technical training with professional learning. Um, and I think, you know, uh, both inside of our organization, but also inside of schools, uh, during the pandemic, there were tools to learn. And so that tools to learn process in some ways supplanted the time that we should have continued to carve out for the professional learning, the self-reflection and the development. Uh, so, you know, I think going forward in terms of holding on to something, it will be uh, recognizing the importance of that, that technical training part of all of our jobs in a world that is powered more and more by technology. Uh, but carving that time out separate and, and in, in some ways keeping sacred the, the time that's allotted for the professional learning. Um, because if we're not careful, those two things become the same thing. Um, and uh, then I think the, you know, you, you start hearing professional learning is a dirty word because everybody right. just keeps doing technical training during professional learning. Right. Um, but especially as we think about the challenges ahead uh, with 
making sure that we're best prepared to serve students uh, as we re-meet them wherever they are next year uh, and, and helping them move forward as fast as, as, as we can, it's really going to be crucial to continue to carve out that time for professional learning um, to ensure that teachers are you know, the most responsive uh, to the needs of those students as they can be by having the appropriate time to self-reflect while also being proficient on a bunch of technology. Right, and hopefully with your, your technologies and technologies in general become more sophisticated and more intuitive, there's less time needed uh, to teach someone how to, how to use Absolutely, it. and people right. get more confidence that they'll be even better and faster on the next tool the next time. Yeah. Well, Adam, once again, thank you so much for your time and your insights. I think uh, they're really valuable and uh, good luck going forward. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks. And thanks everyone for watching. I hope you click around and find us again soon.